Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter-Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the Rabbit in Red Lounge discussing the 1978 horror classic, Halloween. The film was directed by horror icon John Carpenter with a script co-written by Carpenter and the late Deborah Hill. With a simple story and a limited budget, Carpenter and Hill drew inspiration from the proto-slashers that came before and crafted arguably one of the most iconic films in the horror genre. Complete with indelible images, memorable performances, Carpenter's haunting minimalistic score, and filled to the brim with suspense, the film not only spawned a decades-long franchise, but it helped kickstart the slasher subgenre, and the weight of its influence can be felt to this very day. So, Halloween. What were your first impressions on the film? Well, T, you already know that we were raised on this movie. Like, seen it a million times, our mom was obsessed with it. So for that reason, I mean... I will always love this movie because I was almost raised to. Like, I I almost (laughs) didn't have a choice. Yeah. This movie's Um, like our birthright. (laughs) Honestly, I remember when... I I can't remember what grade, but I had to be in elementary school. And my teacher was trying to show us how (laughs) setting can set, like, the mood just by, you know, kind of what's going on without anybody saying anything or anything. You can see you know, how the filmmaker wants you to feel. Mm -hmm. Right. So she had showed a couple scenes from a couple movies and then she showed a scene where someone is driving in the rain in this film and she goes, she pauses it. She just showed a little like 30 seconds, Mm -hmm. pauses it and says, well, what do you think that we were supposed to feel from that? And I go, that's Halloween. We're supposed to be scared. <laughs> and she looked very judgmental that I even knew what the mo- But like you were showing this to us. Uh, yeah. so, but no, yeah, just a 30 second snippet. And I'm like, I know that movie. And I know like it. it's ingrained. <laughs> the funny thing is I have a story from school as well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was either in kindergarten or first grade, but we had to put together like a poster board mm-hmm. of something that we really loved or enjoyed that was very important to us. So I literally did at five years old, a poster board about John Carpenter's <laughs> Halloween. And I'm like, in hindsight, they're probably like, this kid's... I was going to say, <laughs> they probably had meetings about yeah. it. <laughs> it was the same school. <laughs> I remember watching this as a kid, not as much as probably right. you guys did. But I, I did it. I do remember enjoying the movie and being scared of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched it a few times when I got older. And then, of course, watching it for the show. And mm-hmm. I, I still like the movie. No, it's, it's great. There is a lot of, uh, like, telling that it's early, you mm-hmm. know, early horror. And oh, whatnot. yeah. But it's it doesn't take away from the charm of the movie. Right. Like, it's still really good to watch and to sit there and check it out. And there's something so it's time about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, there's an odd nostalgic feeling for it i don't know if that was built in from the filmmakers from the get-go or if that's just something that i built in for having such fond feelings of it right. over the time but all i do know is that there will be a lot of gushing about this film from me <laughs> as we continue there's just something special about this movie mm-hmm. the funny thing is that we were just talking about saw and how inspirational that story was mm-hmm. to getting this film made This movie kind of has a similar inspiring thing about it. I read on Wikipedia that it all started because the producers of this film Mm -hmm. saw John Carpenter's previous film, Assault on Precinct 13, Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, we got to get him to do something. So they approached him and they were like, we want a movie set on Halloween and we want it to be a slasher film, 
like a guy with some babysitters. <laughs> so, <laughs> done and done. Yeah. Him and Deborah Hill wrote the screenplay in about 10 days. Damn. And it was called The Babysitter Murders. Mm-hmm. And then the producer's like, let's call it Halloween. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good call, so they though. did. The odd thing is that this was only Carpenter's third feature, but he was able to get full creative control, him and Deborah Hill. But it came at a cost because they were only paid $10,000 for this film. Mm-hmm. And so... They were able to Get make the, the exact yeah. yeah. I read that, that Jamie Lee Curtis only got eight thousand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one who made out the wow. best was Donald Pleasance. He, I believe, made twenty five thousand dollars yeah, for this movie. But that was a special budget just yeah, for him, outside of budget, because they wanted him so bad. Wow, yeah. that's. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's funny because this whole story was supposed to be from John Carpenter. What he wanted originally was like a haunted house film. Oh, but then it kind of in some ways, there's still haunted house elements in it. And we'll get into it later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that's so inspiring about this is this was made on a very limited budget. Yeah. Carpenter did a lot. A lot of people behind the scenes did more than like five things. (laughs) You know, I love that, though. (laughs) It's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe where Mm -hmm. it's like. It's we like, got to do what we got to do to make it happen. Jamie Lee Curtis called it guerrilla filmmaking. And I think that's so appropriate yeah. and accurate. But the thing is, is that when the movie was done, it only it was 20 days of shooting. Yeah, that's it. And so, Jeez. <laughs> yeah, almost like Saw's 18. I was yeah. just, I yeah. was just thinking that. 18, 18 days. <laughs> but so it comes out. The critics, according to Carpenter, hated it. And then suddenly... A critic in the Village Voice says this movie is amazing. He compared Carpenter to Alfred Hitchcock. Well, I feel like that was Carpenter's whole yeah like point. I will agree. Yeah, but after that critic came out, all those other critics re-reviewed the movie and said they liked it. <laughs> oh, we liked it too. Yeah, uh, we liked it before you did. And it eventually becomes. <laughs> we knew the dog before he came to class. Yeah. It's at the time was the most successful indie film ever made. That's awesome. And so it's another one of those inspiring things. These kids that are not far off from our age came together, made this incredible movie, and it stood the test of time like no other. Obviously, yeah. But there are a lot of, like I said, you know, the proto slashers that came before it. There's a lot of Hitchcock in this. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of even some Toby Hooper influence. And there's Bob Clark from Black Christmas. Straight up. homages to Hitchcock in this. Oh, yeah. And there's one big one that we'll get to. Yes. (laughs) Which is great. Now, before we stalk this film through a suburban neighborhood, we'd like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's break out of the sanitarium. So the film opens immediately with Carpenter's iconic theme playing. We see the credits fade in and out in an orange font, but we also see a jack-o'-lantern on the left-hand side flickering with a candle. We slowly zoom in on the pumpkin as the credits continue, accompanied by the piano and synth. The jack-o'-lantern is like super cute. It's happy. It is. (laughs) I heard, I don't know if it's true, but I heard it was carved by John Carpenter. Of course it was. I would believe it. (laughs) I totally believe that. But I really do want to get that pumpkin tattooed on me one day. <laughs> no, it's great. My my thing about this is what a simple but effective credit Opening? sequence. Yeah. It's and just, that score, man. Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started on the score. I read in NPR that he did the score in three days. Damn. It's just incredible work. And the whole thing, it sets the mood, sets the tone. 
what's odd is the original opening on the commentary track carpenter said it was supposed to be an empty street with some leaves blowing by and you just slowly hmm. get into it but i'm like nah the pumpkin <laughs> i like the pumpkin. pumpkin all day yeah but once the credits end we're fully zoomed into the pumpkin's flickering eye before it gives way to a title card reading haddonfield illinois halloween night 1963 there are also kids chanting a Halloween poem. And from my research, I think it was written for the film because I couldn't find anything on this thing. Man, I just want all my friends' Halloween energy to match these kids. Because oh, they, they were, were going yeah. in. Witches and goblins. <laughs> yeah, they, they loved it. <laughs> the other thing is Haddonfield, Illinois is a fictional town. Mm-hmm. But Deborah Hill was born in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Mm. And so oh, that's where it came right. from. That's cool. And it's funny. She said that after this movie came out and was successful, there's people in Haddonfield, New Jersey, that were like, you know, that's happened here, right? <laughs> They're like, they just said it was Illinois. Come visit over here. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I knew Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Are we saying it? Across the street from him, yeah. But the kids finish the poem with the standard trick-or-treat, and there's like a cowbell noise for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. But we see a first-person shot of a large white house the POV shot walks closer to the front door and through the window, we see Judith Myers awkwardly making out with her boyfriend on the couch. Incre- uh. Incredibly awkward. Very. But Judith tells her unnamed boyfriend that her parents won't be home until 10 p.m. And he asks if they're alone. She says, Michael's around here someplace. <laughs> He's like, 10 p.m. That's great because I need one minute. No, and no, and no. Two seconds. We'll get to that, dude. It is <laughs> unbelievable. But he teases her a bit by putting on a clown mask and then he takes it off and they run upstairs to do the do. Now, (laughs) the first person shot is really cool. Carpenter said that it was inspired by Hitchcock's camera movement, but he took it a step further to create this motion that's almost like floating. Yeah. And it's done really well. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the last scene shot, according to Jamie Lee Curtis. Hmm. So this movie was shot way out of order. Yeah. But... We follow the point of view shot back to the front of the house as the person looks up to the second floor. We see a light in the window go out accompanied by a musical sting, which sounds awesome. Yeah, it's like startling. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> but the person moves towards the back of the house in the dark, walking inside the kitchen through the open back door. We see a hand reach out, open the drawer and grab a large butcher knife and then continue through the house. The music through this is mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Like, oh, I yeah. was like, yeah, it's so good. from the get go, this shit was banging. <laughs> yeah. Was like, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Carpenter said that he showed this film to somebody without any music and they hated it. And then after he added the music, they're like, I was wrong. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the music's like a whole other character. Yeah. It really is. No joke, dude. The funny thing about this shot, though, is that that's Deborah Hill's hand reaching. It looks like a child's uh, hand. (laughs) But he walks through the house and then peering up through the living room doorway, we see the boyfriend putting his shirt back on and saying he has to get home, but saying he'll call Judith before he leaves. So like you said, (laughs) dude, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. But that the only way that it's acceptable is if he they went up there and they're like, so next time we're gonna have sex. Right, but yes. and I was <laughs> and then like, I, I feel like the implication is there because right. he's putting his shirt back on. Yeah. But I'm like, you guys literally Well maybe he's like, so next time yeah, we're gonna have sex, but... this is <laughs> what my chest the... <laughs> looks like. <laughs> All right, see you later. But no, it's real bad. And before the boyfriend leaves, he looks back upstairs. I imagine he's like, man, I'm going to be hearing about that <laughs> tomorrow. Everyone's going to know. Yeah, I thought that was funny because <laughs> she did. She was like, you're going to call me, right? He's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But the point of view shot slowly creeps up the stairs as a clock chimes and Judith is heard singing a song in her room. 
At the top of the stairs, we see a clown mask on the floor, and we see a hand pick it up and put it on, and our view is now obscured a little bit by the mask. I love that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so great. The way that it just pops on, and then <laughs> our view through it, it... I, I yeah, love it. I'm glad they did that instead yeah. of just like, oh, now I can see perfectly out of yeah. the, hole, the eye holes. <laughs> no, like, it's no. so cool. It's funny, though, because I never noticed this until this time around, but there's a cut there. Yeah. Because you suddenly see clothes on the floor after he puts the mask on that weren't there, yeah. that they weren't <laughs> there before. That. But funny. you're so into it yeah, that you're like, I don't, you don't care. I don't even right. know. <laughs> But we follow that trail of clothing and that sound of happy post one minute sex humming <laughs> until we stumble upon a topless Judith sitting at a vanity brushing her hair. She just wanted a little naked hair brushing. Yeah, I was going to say, she's naked. naked. <laughs> well, she had she has underwear on. on. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh, I, wasn't, I was just like, what? <laughs> I'm like, damn. <laughs> I mean, doors open. Yeah, I was like, Whatever. And she said, Michael's around here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be fine. Yeah. He sees it. It's his own fuck. Yeah, it's his <laughs> We get a look at her unkempt bed before the camera gets closer to her. She turns to the camera with a scolding, Michael, just before she's stabbed to death. <laughs> he does it like nothing. Like there's yeah. no build up. There's no, no. He's just like, I came to do this and now I'm doing it. And her self-defense is dog shit. She's yeah. like, my only self-defense is rubbing my boobs. <laughs> That's literally all she does. But and the, the other thing I thought was weird was as he was stabbing, he looked at the knife. Yes. That was I like, was, oh, damn. I'm doing I this. Like, he's like, this is fucking great. And he, <laughs> he does. He looks at his own arm. And I he was loves like, it. What the fuck? But she falls down dead to the floor. The mass point of view makes a quick exit out of the room, breathing very heavily. Yes. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of exercise. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot out of a person. <laughs> Once downstairs, we see a car pull up outside. We exit the house as Mr. and Mrs. Myers approach the camera, unmasking it. The father says, Michael? And we see that this whole time, the camera has been from the point of view of a six-year-old Michael Myers. The camera zooms out as his parents just stand there confused, and the music reaches a crescendo. It always struck me that there's no real reaction to the bloody knife or anything. Yeah, I was going to say a couple things. Yeah. Uh, the reveal always, even though obviously after the first time you know it's coming, mm -hmm. it's chilling because he has no emotion in his face None. at all. Right. He's just like, mm-hmm. Like, did that shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like creepy. He's not remorseful. He's not excited. He's not mad, happy, nothing. It's just blank. But yeah, your kid just came out of the house wandering into the street with a bloody knife in his, a giant bloody knife oh, in yeah. his hand. And they're just like, what, man, what are you? Well, and Ms. then they just look at him. Mrs. Myers puts her hands in her coat pocket like, hmm, well, <laughs> he's grounded. <laughs> like, I don't, it's just so No odd. candy for you, young mm -mm. man. But I mean, it is, it's kind of like a little tableau because it kind of, they freeze, but the camera keeps moving. Yeah. So it's a cool no, shot. No, I mean, it is a, it's a great shot, honestly, but like, it doesn't. No. Um, no <laughs> it's a little odd. So did he kill her because he was crazy or because she was having sex? See, and this is my, There's... this is my favorite thing about this is that we don't know why. Mm -hmm. And that's why Rob Zombie's Halloween is horrible to me. <laughs> 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 is for this alone. And also what John Carpenter accomplished in like two and a half minutes, Rob Zombie took like fucking 45 to do but we're not talking about that talk right about now <laughs> <laughs> yeah and should we do that one day mm. let us know if well, you want yeah. us to do rob we zombies will. halloween yeah. at the pod mortem there we go but we then get another title card that reads smith's grove illinois october 30th 1978 so 15 years later Sidebar, I know this is probably powered by nostalgia, but how cool is this font? Oh, yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> like, I love this font. 
But we see a car driving through a thunderstorm at night. Inside the car is Dr. Samuel Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, and a nurse, Marion Chambers, played by Nancy Stevens. Samuel Loomis is obviously a nod to Sam Loomis in Psycho. Not <laughs> yeah, really a nod. No, it's the exact same name. the exact same name. <laughs> it's like, okay. I also read that they had wanted Christopher Lee first. Yes. And he was like, no, nah, it's not enough money. <laughs> And then went on to say that it was the biggest mistake he ever made was not playing Dr. Loomis. Wow. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Donald Pleasance kind of had a resurgence from yeah. this. But I mean, like, he it wasn't even, he's not even in it that much. And it was, what, $25,000? Yeah. Well, Chris, I, I did read that Donald Pleasance is in this movie for 18 minutes I mean, total. Take the money and run. I do want to be honest here. I forgot that he was a doctor. I thought he was like a detective or something. Really? Shit before. Is it yeah. The coat? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, he's more of a detective than oh a detective. Oh my god! Yeah. Yes. Okay. No joke. Carpenter said the only reason Pleasance agreed to this movie is because his daughter liked John Carpenter's soundtrack for Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> but Donald Pleasance asked him to explain the script to him because he didn't get it. But he was taking the meeting because of his daughter's right. request. I love it. That movie opened a lot of doors for him. Yeah, I know. I've never seen it. Me neither. I'm going to have to now. But... They make a little small talk as Marion drives toward the front gates at Smith's Grove Sanitarium. Marion says that the only thing that really gets to her about the patients is their babbling, to which Dr. Loomis replies that Michael hasn't spoken a word in 15 years. Yeah, you ain't so, got to worry about yeah, that. Yeah, no worries there. <laughs> but he tells her, don't underestimate it. Yeah. And she said, don't you think we should refer to it as him? And Dr. Loomis is like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. He's not. And he's like, you don't know. Yeah. Sure, pal. I know. He also should have told her to stop chain smoking with the windows up. He's like, I can't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> 78, man. <laughs> we were half nicotine back then. Exactly, yeah. He tells her to give Michael Thorazine when he's taken in front of the judge. And Marion says that he'll barely be able to sit up. And Loomis is like, yeah, uh -huh. exactly. <laughs> Thorazine. We get a quick shot of a pack of cigarettes as well as a matchbook from the Rabbit in Red Lounge, and we see Loomis notice them. Marion takes a drag from her cigarette and asks if Loomis ever wants Michael to get out, and he says, never. But hasn't he made that clear? Oh, yeah. Like, already? Yeah, she's like, she's trying to make small talk. She's like, I barely know you, dude. I don't know what to, you got a family? You got friends? But he then says they're only taking him to Hardin County because it's the law. So from this exchange, you get, like, everything. Yeah. His motivation. He's driving the point home that Michael's dangerous and beyond help. The writing is that just... That he doesn't even see him as a person, No, really. yeah. period. It. It? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. And I don't find it expository at all. No, it doesn't feel that way at it all. It genuinely seems like the conversation these two would have yeah, if they were in the car just... together. And she just seems very annoyed by it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm only here because I have to be. Yes. But they finally arrive at Smith's Grove, and the Halloween theme begins to play as we notice numerous patients wandering around outside. Loomis orders Marion to drive up to the main gate, and once there, Dr. Loomis gets out of the car to check the gate, leaving Marion alone in the car. We get a shot through the back window, and through the red of the taillights, we see Michael leaping onto the car. <laughs> Spider-Man! <laughs> looks was. so funny. No, yeah, and then the music is like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marion hears movement on the roof of the car and rolls down the window to see what's up. Why? I would never do that. Why, 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 why? Yes, I don't know why don't she do did that. that. Again, if you're dumb enough to eat it, you, you deserve to die. <laughs> Not if only that, but you're coming to pick this dude up uh -huh. and just in that car. Why? Well, they had the there... gate in the back. Yeah, but still, for how dangerous he yeah, is, you have that, one nurse and some, one psychologist. You know... Yeah, it's like oh, we're put, we're putting the juggernaut back there. It's all right. <laughs> you can't be fine. break out. Yeah, it'll be all right. <laughs> just then, 
of course. Michael reaches into the window, grabbing her by the face. Marion's foot hits the gas during the struggle, and the car swerves around a bit before she can bring it to a stop. We see her cowering up against the passenger side window, along with some pretty neat green and blue lighting. Yes. I like that a lot. But Michael brings his hand down against the window, shattering it. (laughs) Oh, Iron Hand Mike. (laughs) Well, dude, no joke. Carpenter said that if you look closely, you can see a wrench on his hand. They tied a wrench (laughs) to his hand. They painted it skin tone, but there's a wrench there. You you can clearly see it. Yeah, you can see it. Because watching it, I was like, damn. the hell? But Marion bails out of the car and Michael goes full Grand Theft Auto, commandeering the car and just speeding Thanks away. Thanks for the ride, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Loomis checks on Marion to make sure she's okay and then he vents his frustration at what just happened. He says, the evil is gone before <laughs> rushing off screen. <laughs> but then here's what was weird to me is that as he's rushing off screen, he goes, all right, I've got it. And then he leaves. You've got what? <laughs> <laughs> was that? I don't away. know. <laughs> Yeah, like so was that not Carpenter's to make like, it take in? your yeah. mark or something. I don't know. All right, I've got it. But <laughs> Marion just sits on the ground with the rain falling and she just kind of leans forward. Probably exhausted. That was a big ordeal. <laughs> it was a lot. But the scene abruptly cuts to a peaceful looking suburban neighborhood. We see houses, trees, and leaves on the ground, and we get another title card that reads Haddonfield, Halloween. It's kind of amazing how they were able to make it look like fall with different things because it was shot in March in California and it looks like the Midwest. It looks like it's autumn. It's really incredible. The funny thing, though, is that we see a lot of fake leaves in the movie. Mm -hmm. I read on IMDb that Robert England said that John Carpenter hired him for a day to distribute leaves around the set. What the fuck? Yeah, so pre-Freddy Krueger... Gotta was, get a start somewhere. Yeah, that I just, that's is the most awesome. interesting. Yeah. But we slowly zoom in on a White House in the background just as Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, comes bounding out of it in a hurry. She's carrying books and she's got a book bag slung over her shoulder. Love Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis best. is the best. This is actually her first feature film role. And I've read conflicting stories about the reason why she was cast. A lot of people say it was totally on merit because first of all, she does an amazing job in this she movie. Does. Yeah. So I don't really believe people that say the second part, which is that she only got it because of her mother's role in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. I don't think so. I, I, I would assume that... Well, maybe that's what got her foot in the door and then everybody was like, wow. Because yeah. I read that she was so worried that she was doing a bad job Yeah, that after the first day of filming, John Carpenter called her and she was like, I'm fired. <laughs> and he was calling to say what a good job she had yeah, done. Yeah, she did a damn and, good job. Uh, like you said, they had shot so much of it out of order. Mm-hmm. Before they would do a scene, he'd be like, okay, you're at like, your terror level is 10. Like uh, he would yeah. tell her how scared she was supposed to be. That is great. And it doesn't feel disjointed. Like it feels very authentic. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, she did. Yeah, so I, I mean, love her. My thing is, sure, that could be be like good publicity for it or whatever you know like we have the daughter right you know but at the same time she's here she's great so who cares yeah but just as she's leaving the house Lori's father who's a realtor tells her to drop a key off at the myers place because they're going to have people coming by to look at it later interesting thing this is the only scene where her father appears yeah but he's played by tippy hedron's (laughs) ex-husband and melanie griffith's father yeah so but another Hitchcock connection yeah Yeah. I already said psycho the birds I'm sorry everyone (laughs) 
<laughs> but they're selling that house. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they want to sell it, sell the lot to knock it down. Something. Because when we get there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Lori continues her walk and bumps into Tommy Doyle, played by Brian Andrews. And he's a little kid that she babysits normally. She's actually going to babysit him tonight, so they're kind of chatting about what they're going to do that evening. So they've got jack-o'-lanterns, monster movies, popcorn, a lean night. Yeah. <laughs> and he's every kid. Why? Yeah. Why? God. When? Oh, yeah. Why? As Why? annoying as that is, I think that their relationship is so cute. Yes. No, it's adorable. Because it, it feels real. Feels, yeah. Exactly. It oh, feels yeah. like a real Lived in. Kid. Yes. yes. Fantastic. But Lori tells Tommy that she has to drop the key off at the Myers place. Once they get there... We see just how beat up it is. Like you said, it's just dilapidated. The house is being awful. They said that nobody's (laughs) lived here in 15 years. And Tommy tells her that she's not supposed to go up there and calls it a spook house. She's basically like, watch me. So (laughs) (laughs) she walks up the porch and she leaves a key under the mat. From inside the house, we get a shot through the window of her doing so, but then we see a silhouette of a man lurch in from the right side. And you hear him breathing before you even see him. It's tough. Clearly Michael Myers. <laughs> yes. Who's that? I don't know. Some guy. Squatter. But the thing is, is Michael Myers, the adult, is never credited as such. He's called The Shape. I love that. Which is so cool. It's creepy. And I want to sh- be called The Shape. The Shape. <laughs> the Shape. The Shape is what they would call the spirits and demons that were influencing the women during the Salem witch trials. Mm. They would call them the shapes. That's interesting. So people say they don't know if or if it's just a word that they use. Right. Either way, it's cool But it's a nifty connection if that's what it is in reference to. So Tommy tells Lori that his friend Lonnie told him that something bad happened at that house and that it's haunted. And she's like, Lonnie probably won't get out of the sixth grade. It's like, damn, Lori. It's like, yeah. damn. I mean, <laughs> that's funny. But something <laughs> did. I, it doesn't matter how dumb Lonnie is. Something did happen here. Yeah. <laughs> like, Lonnie's intelligence is not at not stake at all. Here. Not even part of it. But they say their goodbyes and Lori continues walking. And everything about this walk, you know, with the exception of Michael slinking around in the house. <laughs> Everything about this walk seems so regular. It's just a girl walking to school. She's talking to this kid. She's dropping off a key. But the score behind it makes you like, what the fuck is going on? Like something (laughs) something bad's about to happen. It's just so tense. Yes. Yeah. And it it feels like if if it wasn't there, there would be no reason to feel that way. Yeah. And it's crazy because for me, a lot of times in modern horror films, the music will ruin a lot of scenes for me. But yeah. every single time any song shows up, it enhances mm-hmm. every scene that it's in. It makes you like, oh, what? Yeah. Oh, God, what's next? <laughs> oh, yeah. But we see her get further and further away just as Michael's shoulder appears in the corner of the frame, now outside watching her walk down the sidewalk. He's like, hey, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> Lori is singing a love song to herself during this scene, and it's a song that does not actually exist. No, Jeremy Lee Curtis <laughs> made it up, I read. <laughs> yeah, she made it up on set for this part. But he's like... What's that now? (laughs) You love me? She loves me. (laughs) (laughs) But back at Smith's Grove, Loomis is arguing with a man who works for the sanitarium, admonishing him for what happened the night before with Michael escaping. He's putting the blame on them, saying that they didn't take his warning seriously. He's like, two roadblocks and an APB couldn't stop a five-year-old. He's pissed. <laughs> He's very mad. I, do we ever get an explanation as to why all they were all out on the lawn? My guess is that 
Michael tripped yeah. something, something when he escaped, and then they and all it just let came more out. people out. And they're lucky that they got all of them back in. Yeah, well, which, not all of them. Which, yeah. yeah, the most important <laughs> <Not> one. <Spider-Man. laughs> yeah, but the sanitarium employee is like, he's like, well, if that roadblock and APV wasn't enough, you should have told somebody. And Loomis is like, I, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. motherfucker, yeah. like. Y'all ignored his recommendations, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna fix your mouth to blame him. Yeah, Absolute no. garbage. I would yeah, lose don't my do mind. That. Don't no. do that. But he tells him, Doctor Loomis. He's like, we know where Michael's gonna go, and the dude's like, Haddonfield's over 150 miles away, and Michael can't even drive a car. And Loomis is like, Well, he was doing very well last night. <laughs> I literally <laughs> saw him driving. <laughs> he goes, he goes. Well, he says maybe someone around here gave him lessons, which is which just is a, a real petty shot <laughs> to end on. <laughs> Maybe but, you fucking taught yeah, him. It is very funny because I did read somewhere a long time ago that in, I think, the novelization of this movie, it said that Michael would watch drivers very closely when he was being transported because mm, this whole time so he he's planning his escape. Mm-hmm. And I feel like driving a car <laughs> is not that hard to pick up. It's not like they're <laughs> like, not well, testing when for did Michael yeah. <laughs> build that nuclear bomb? No. <laughs> he drove a car, but... <laughs> Loomis drives away, presumably on his way to Haddonfield. Back in Haddonfield, Laurie is sitting in class as the teacher is giving a lecture about fate and how it's inescapable. This scene is referenced so much I was just about in to horror say, films. I feel like we've yes. talked at least a few times about this exact setup being redone or paid homage to or ripped off yeah. or whatever i remember hereditary and it yeah. follows at yeah. least yeah and that doesn't even scratch the surface no those are just yeah. recent <laughs> movies that we've seen yeah. but laurie sits there looking bored she looks out the window and she sees marion's station wagon parked across the street with the shape standing behind it staring at her it's far away but this is the first shot we see of present day michael his face and everything and he's played by Nick Castle, mm-hmm. and he's wearing a very creepy white mask. Mm-hmm. So very quickly. Are we going to talk about? Yes. As we all know, <laughs> the mask was a Captain Kirk mask bought for less than $2 that Tommy Lee Wallace, the editor slash production designer slash he also played Michael Myers in one scene in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> found, and he cut larger eye holes into it and spray painted it white. It's funny to me because not only is it William Shatner's face, but for a couple of bucks, they created one of the most iconic yeah. images in horror history. I read that it was almost going to be a clown mask. Yes. With like red hair. Mm. Kind of a mix and of what yeah, he yeah. wore as a child. Exactly. It was supposed to be, you know, that's what he knows because that's what he was wearing right. when he killed his sister. Oh, but that makes sense. I, fe- I, wa- I obviously am glad that they chose... This what one. they chose, but I would like to see how that would have looked, though. Yeah, they actually made a mock up of it. I would like to see that, and this was better, I've, of course. <laughs> I feel like that would give a whole different vibe, no, uh-huh. yeah, to Michael Myers if he was a clown, <laughs> <laughs> kind of change everything. Yeah, I feel like no, the film yeah. wouldn't have had much of, as much of an impact, no, because that's like silly. So yeah, recently I did rewatch. Eyes Without a Face from 1960. Mm-hmm. And Carpenter said that the mask in that film partially inspired the mask in this oh. one. It's so interesting to me because that movie is Eyes Without a Face, but this movie is kind of Face Without the Eyes. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> I didn't mean to scare anyone. But, <laughs> but Laurie looks back at her notes, then back at Michael, 
And then she gets snapped out of it when the teacher calls on her to answer a question. To her credit, she still Lori, answers. Yeah, <laughs> she's multitasking yeah. enough to answer it properly. And the teacher's like, "All right, you know Never when mind. teachers call you out, you're like, like oh shit, because you weren't paying attention, yeah. start to sweat. <laughs> yeah, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but Lori looks out the window again to see that both Michael and the station wagon are gone. The scene ends with the teacher saying, fate never changes. One of my favorite things about this movie, though, is the slow buildup of Michael Myers as this stalking, dangerous figure. Mm -hmm. He's just watching and waiting, like a man obsessed, almost like how patient he was to break out of Smith's Grove. Hmm. So many times he could attack in He's this film, impulsive. and he doesn't, you know? Yeah. And He's I a think creep. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's not one hundred percent at all. Like, what are you doing in school? Yeah, <laughs> what you learn? I, I like, I like that. <laughs> that he here. was following her on the street, and then he went back, got in his car, and drove yeah, to her and then, school. Yeah. Oh, he's like, I'm not walking though. She can. I'm not <laughs> fucking doing that. But she loves him. Yeah, so, so yeah. I've heard. But for me, this is how you build suspense. You know, for sure, you, you establish something to fear, and you don't tell when or how it's going to strike. Definitely. But in the next scene, we see kids being let out of school at Haddonfield Elementary. Those kids were ready to go because yeah. the, hey. the bell is still ringing. No, yeah. Relatable. <laughs> yeah, hey, I remember standing go. at the door with my right. backpack on and my teacher's like, sit down. <laughs> the she bell so doesn't mad. dismiss you. Uh, I, I dismiss, dismiss you. you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sure, lady. <laughs> it is three o'clock. <laughs> but Tommy's holding the largest pumpkin I've ever seen. And he's trying to walk away from a group of bullies who are following him. I think... The bullies might have made up their own lines here because they're literally just saying, how's the witches, stupid yeah. pumpkin? Like None of it makes <laughs> any sense. As, I mean, look, my take on this is that bullying was a lot different in the 1970s because the bullies in my school were a lot more slur heavy. Yeah. <laughs> I would have killed for them to make fun of my giant pumpkin. <laughs> but Tommy's like, leave me alone. Well, and he looks at them like... That's what y'all are fucking yeah, saying? Yeah, my pumpkin. <laughs> you probably carved one at home. That Why are we stupid. talking about this? <laughs> but the kids start to chant that the boogeyman is going to get him. They ask him if he knows what happens on Halloween, and he's like, yeah, we get candy. <laughs> and they I'm laugh even harder. Uh, like, that's not part of it. It is. Yeah. Like, you're not going to go get candy right, right now. Like, Why are go these trick-or-treating kids... motherfucker. Like, <laughs> we don't do that here. But they just start chanting the boogeyman at him. <laughs> like out of context but eventually tommy tries to run away but he gets tripped falling right on top of the big ass pumpkin smashing it like billy corgan <laughs> <laughs> something about that pumpkin breaking open looks so satisfying i don't know why i don't know why either but i've thought it ever since i was a kid and it looks weirdly like soft i don't know i know it's really sad up. yeah he, and he's really upset about it well too. i mean that would have been a great pumpkin to carve oh man yeah, oh, yeah. missed out but the main bully makes a break for it. <laughs> the main bully. <laughs> and he runs into Michael Myers, who grabs him by the shoulder. That It's terrifying. It yeah. is. He stares up at Michael in fear and then runs away in the other direction. Good move, kid. You've been yeah. doing nothing but Hell dumb yeah. shit <laughs> this Fuck whole time. This. But that's great. So we follow Michael as he stalks a dejected Tommy in Marion's car, doing a great job driving, if I'm honest. <laughs> he, he's got to stop breathing Dude, heavy he and looking at that kid like heavy that. breathing. <laughs> Like, <laughs> and you like, brought up something out. interesting, though, Nay, before the show, where you said you wonder if maybe he sees some of himself in that kid. Yeah, because that really is the last time he was free was when it was around that age. Tommy's age. Yeah. Oh, all right. Because at first I was like, is it just because he saw him with Lori and he's like, that's that's my yeah. key, or I don't know. <laughs> 
But yeah, I was like, I wonder if he sees part of himself that he lost. Maybe or... he sees Judith and Lori. Makes I don't know. Sense. I mean, it makes sense. And yeah. I love not knowing. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. And that's the thing is you can kind of apply your own meaning to it without it being like, well, he loved his... Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> or his mom was a stripper and... I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 73 miles outside of Haddonfield, Loomis is at a payphone and he's talking to the police and he's warning them about Michael's imminent arrival in their town. They don't seem to take him seriously, but Loomis tells them, he's like, if you don't get ready... It's your funeral. <laughs> and he, he hangs up. I'm like, this man is professionally qualified to be making these For claims. him specifically. Yeah, why is no one listening to him? No I don't one. Know. Yeah, why? Literally no like, one. Shut up, old man. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting thing about this scene is Carpenter said that there was extra dialogue here where Loomis called his wife, who was worried about him, but Donald Pleasant said that it would make it a lot better for the character if Loomis had no family and he just had a singular mission to stop Michael Myers. I love that. And I yeah. kind of agree. Like, this is his, this yeah, is what he's doing. we don't need to muddy the water with more no. details yeah. for no reason. How you doing, baby? Yeah, yeah like, what was know. he going to say? I don't yes, know. I'm hunting Michael. Yes, no. <laughs> yes I'm still busy. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> no, we say? haven't found them. Dinner at 11? I'm in Haddonfield. I, <laughs> I will not be there. Yeah. Yeah. Dinner at 11? Goddamn. <laughs> well, <laughs> she expects him late. He's always out late. <laughs> All right. But just down the path from the payphone, Loomis notices an abandoned truck with the driver's side door wide open. He walks over and we see the words Phelps Garage written on the side of the truck. In the trees, Loomis finds Michael's hospital gown along with the rabbit and red matchbook that he spied in Marion's car. Mm -hmm. Loomis runs back to his car, but the camera pans over and we see just in the bushes is the body of a mechanic that Michael murdered, which explains his spiffy new coveralls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> he's like, that'll work. He's about my size. Like, yeah. I wonder what the motivation was Well, he's here. like, I can't murder people in a gown. <laughs> this is too, too my, comfortable. My ass my... is hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> like, who's afraid of the ass cheeks? That's not. <laughs> Back at Haddonfield High, Lori is catching up with her friend Linda Vanderklok, played by PJ Souls, who just got out of cheerleading practice. I read quickly that she they wanted her for this role because of her role in Carrie. That's awesome. Because they're very similar they characters. Are. He wrote it specifically for her. Yes. I that makes sense because Carrie was just what, like two years yeah. prior? That's really cool. Pretty cool. Linda's complaining about how stacked her schedule is gonna be and she uses the word totally, I believe, three times in oh, less than thirty my seconds. God. <laughs> That's ninety percent of her dialogue. I think so, yeah. It was easy to memorize because <laughs> Well, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Totally easy to memorize. <laughs> Their friend, Annie Brackett, played by Nancy Loomis, catches up with them. Sidebar, Nancy Loomis was 28 here. Wow. Well, I did read that Jamie Lee Curtis was the only real teenager. It's kind of insane. But I didn't know that she was yeah. almost 30. She's like that's, my age. That's Damn. pretty crazy. Yeah. But she complains to them about her boyfriend, Paul, who apparently got grounded by his parents. So he won't be coming over to visit her on Halloween night. She's pretty bummed. <laughs> She's very bummed. What's cool here is that Deborah Hill wrote most of this dialogue, and she said that she wanted to model it after teenage girls talking in a bathroom using experiences from her own life. So it kind of gives it a really realistic feel. It, it honestly yeah. does. It feels like three girls talking in the 70s. Yeah. But in the middle of the story, Lori realizes that she forgot her chemistry book. Linda says she always forgets her chemistry book and her math book <laughs> and her English book. She's like, who cares? But just as Lori looks back, she sees the station wagon from earlier rounding the corner. It slowly drives past them, 
and then <laughs> tries to speed away at the end. Like, I saw what he needed. <laughs> Goodbye. But Annie screams, hey, jerk, speed kills. And he just screeches to a halt. And it's like, oh, like, shit. Oh, fuck. Annie's like, geez, can't you take a joke? And then he drives away. I know he didn't hear yeah, her. No. But <laughs> he's like, all right, all right. It's like he thought of doing something. And he's like, look, just take the high road, Mike. <laughs> she says, I hate a guy with a car and no sense of humor, which mm-hmm. is a really specific thing to yeah. hate. <laughs> just a few guys. Like specifically that, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Him right there. But Lori scolds Annie, saying that one day she's going to get them all in trouble. So the girls continue walking and talking about their plans for Halloween. Lori's going to be babysitting Tommy, as we said earlier. Annie's going to babysit for the Wallaces, and Linda has a date with Bob, her boyfriend. The girls drop Linda off at her house first, and immediately after they do, we get the iconic long shot of Michael Myers standing behind a hedge, staring at Lori and Annie. Smooth, Mike. He's like, you know we see you. Yeah, it leaves a little to be desired. You see the entire right (laughs) after your body. (laughs) I laughed because they're planning their night, and it's like, I'm I'm babysitting three houses down. Okay, yeah, we can talk and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, fuck those kids. Like, we're, we're planning oh, well, a whole night. Yeah, outside of these. Yes. We're, these children we're supposed to be watching. Hey, the kids got to go to sleep sometime, right? <laughs> I mean, I've never babysat, but I figure that's all of it. So <laughs> That's when, all of it. When they were talking, so was she saying she's inviting the other girl and her boyfriend to come over to have yes, sex? And to the Wallaces. Correct. Yeah. Their ha- okay. Correct. Because yeah. <laughs> I was like, is she like letting them bang in that? The person's house. The person that's paying them to watch. To watch the kids. She's a great friend, terrible babysitter. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That sums it up. But Lori notices him and Annie doesn't because she's looking in her book bag. He walks just behind the bushes, disappearing from sight before Annie could see him. (laughs) Again, smooth. Yeah, Yeah. that was actually smooth. The other thing, not so much. Lori says that it's probably the guy from the car that Annie yelled at, and Annie's like, fuck it. So she walks over to the bushes and pretends, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't, no. But she pretends that she's talking to the man, saying that he wants to talk to Lori so he can take her out tonight. It's kind of sad because Lori does make her way over, only to see that the man isn't there anymore. Funnily enough, you can see a bit of smoke here, and on the commentary, Carpenter pointed out, he goes, that was... Me, I was smoking too close to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I I literally thought, is Annie smoking? Yeah, no, it was it Carpenter. Was <laughs> That's hilarious. That made me laugh. But Annie jokes that Lori scared another man away. She's kind of playfully rude to her. And Lori basically I feel like says, they're, uh, "They're rude. They're like mean." But to her. I think that some friends groups are just like that. Yeah, but Lori's yeah. not even like. <laughs> he's like, I yeah. got one of those. <laughs> it, it seems a lot at times. Yeah. But, it, it, I mean, that makes you feel sympathy for Lori. Yeah, Which true. is also good. But Lori says that guys aren't really interested in her because they think she's too smart. And he's like, I don't think you're smart. I think you're a wacko seeing men in bushes. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. But they finally arrive at Annie's house and they say goodbye to each other. Lori turns around a little paranoid looking back at the bushes and she accidentally walks backwards into Sheriff Lee Brackett, Annie's father, played by Charles Cyphers. She screams, and he says he didn't mean to startle her, but he's like, well, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Mm-hmm. Great line. Yeah. I wonder if that scare was fully planned out in advance, because Jamie Lee Curtis looked like she actually got scared. <laughs> she probably did. And then did. she laughs after. So it was, I was like, the that 70s. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fire a gun next to them, yeah. and yeah, it was the Wild West. But they say their goodbyes, and Lori continues walking home. When she gets there, 
she sees children in costumes and they're laughing and getting ready to go trick or treating. It's like early as hell. Yeah, I, I noticed <laughs> well, that too. I was like, that's school just well, let out. Maybe that's three, four o'clock. You go trick or treating and then you come home for a Halloween dinner. No, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I mean, that's not what we did as kids. But no. Halloween dinner. I don't know. <laughs> Dinner's at eleven. So oh, that's yeah. right. Oh, we've, we've got all night. <laughs> but. Here's something that was always has always been odd to me. Lori says to herself, well, kiddo, I thought you outgrew superstition. And then she laughs and walks away. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> I read Deborah Hill wrote it. And John Carpenter is like, I don't even know what that means. He said, but it works. And it does work. But what does it mean? It doesn't mean well, anything. It works for what? what is- <laughs> it sounds cool, I think, is yeah. what it works. It does sound cool. But it doesn't make any sense you saying that now i'm like that didn't make any sense but when i was watching the movie I was like, like oh uh-huh. wow. yeah i, thought I, thought you were. I, I agree <laughs> inside Lori sets down her books and her bag and goes to her window she looks outside and she sees the shape standing between sheets hanging on clotheslines oh my god yeah. i know we get a shot of her appearing concerned and then we see that he's disappeared. So part of me is wondering if this is her paranoia and that he wasn't really there. He was there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he was there. All right. Well, I would flip shit. Uh, yeah. Like her reaction, she just backs up. Yeah. No. She's like, huh? That's that's mm, not mm, supposed to be there. That's not usually there. Those aren't my linens. Did you see though that <laughs> my linens? Did you see that there was a Raggedy Ann doll on her dresser? No, oh, yeah. I did not. Yeah. yeah. Was it the Annabelle? No. Right. (laughs) But immediately after this, her phone rings and we hear a weird chewing noise on the other end. After asking who it is and not getting an answer, she hangs up. The phone rings again and it's Annie asking why she hung up on her. Why did why did Annie call her with her mouth full? Hey, well, before we started recording this, you asked me a question. While you were eating, and then I answered you, and then you just stood there chewing, unable to answer me. So okay, let's not. I didn't call you on stones. the phone. No. Yeah, it was in person. That's somehow better. I don't know. But why are you bringing up old shit? I don't know. Look, here's the deal. I'm defending Annie because I you love, love her. Annie. I know. If I was around during this time, my trapper keeper would say T H plus A B. Did they have trap? They sure. Regardless. Yeah. Lori's like, why didn't you say anything? And she (laughs) thought it was an obscene phone call. (laughs) (laughs) But Annie just called to let her know that her mom is letting her use the car and that she'll pick her up at 630. They say goodbye and Lori lies down in bed telling herself she needs to calm down. Later that day, we see Lori leaving the house carrying a large pumpkin and other babysitting materials. Mm -hmm. She sits down outside of her house watching trick-or-treaters go by as she waits for Annie. There are leaves everywhere and it's breezy, and again, it looks like fall. It really does. I believe it. The only thing is that the trees are green, but who cares? (laughs) Like, I don't Don't care. Don't look directly at the trees. No, that's rule one for watching Halloween. Look at the the Robert England leaves. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Annie finally pulls up, and Lori stashes all of her stuff in the backseat of the car, and they take off. As soon as they do, Annie hands Lori a joint, I was like, damn, All dude. All right. Well, because I don't think this of Lori, but no. I'm like, I guess it's the 70s. It, yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't know you like to get wet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. It was so fast, though. Yes. She's but... like, here. Yeah. <laughs> Hurry up, smoke it. Yeah. Say no after school special. <laughs> 
but on the radio is a song by the Coopdevilles, which was a group featuring John Carpenter, Nick Castle, <laughs> and Tommy Lee Wallace. Oh my god. So they got their shit in, which is really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. In the next scene, we see Dr. Loomis arriving at Haddonfield Cemetery. He's led by the caretaker to Judith Meyer's grave. As they're doing this, the caretakers, he's going off and Loomis is just not here for the no, stories at all. But the story is important. <laughs> yes, and Loomis is like, shut the yeah, fuck whatever. up. He's like, where the, where the fuck are we? <laughs> the story the guy's telling is basically in a town over, I think he said Russellville. Right. This guy just up and killed his family one yeah. day. Which I love that this is included because it's almost, okay. The beginning of the film is really effective because it's kind of like a surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody could do this. Any town USA, a kid just murdered a sister. All right. I feel like this plays into that where the caretaker is like, look, any town USA. Yeah. Any kid, any husband, any anybody. Everybody has. Everybody's a suspect. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's a story like this everywhere, which is kind of uh, frightening. Yeah, but Loomis is like, Shut the fuck up. Yeah, where's the gravestone? <laughs> Take me there. <laughs> so they get to her gravesite, and we see that her headstone <laughs> is missing, which the caretaker assumes is a Halloween prank. Yeah, where would you keep that? I don't. Those are some devoted ass kids. Who yeah. are you pranking? Yeah. And then how heavy is gotcha. that to move that? Oh yeah, they need like a wheelbarrow or <laughs> yeah. whatever kids have on hand in the seventies. <laughs> But it's not a prank. Loomis realizes the gravity of the situation and he says, he came home. Mm -hmm. Which he knew. Yes. But nobody wanted to listen. Again, back in the car, Annie teases Lori for being scared by the man in the bushes. While they're speculating about who it was, we see through the back window that Michael is tailing them in the station wagon. Yeah, he's kind of like swerving on the road. Like, how do you not notice (laughs) that? Well, again... He's self-taught. He's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's honestly lucky that they don't notice him uh, because no, Lori yeah. knows the car. Yeah, she does. You know? But Annie's asking Lori about the big ass pumpkin that she brought and Lori says it's for Tommy to keep him occupied. Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult mm-hmm. is playing on the radio. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. And it's kind of apropos because the Reaper is literally right, right behind Right behind you. But you should fear him though. Yes. <laughs> Do fear the Reaper. Yeah. People who don't listen to Loomis don't fear him. Yes. <laughs> but Annie jokes that Lori would make a good Girl Scout. Then she says that she plans to watch a six-hour horror movie marathon with Lindsay while Lori takes the most awkward drag off of a joint I've ever seen <laughs> in but, my life. Yeah, she says she's got popcorn and six hours of horror movies in front of her. And that sounds great. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. The yes. real thing here I want to I want to ask and what the fuck were they smoking because that was like a yellow cardboard looking <laughs> Maybe rolling papers were different uh, <laughs> back know. then I don't know but she smoked it with two hands yeah, Lori did <laughs> It's really maybe it's really, really weird. heavy yeah she's doing her Joints best are heavy in the 70s <laughs> but she passes it back to Annie who takes a hit and then looks up and shouts, my dad. Oh, my God. And she tells Lori to get rid of the joint. While Lori's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cough. Good Lord. So the girls pull up to a storefront and we hear the alarm blaring and we see a couple of cop cars outside. The station wagon parks a little further back, I guess, kind of getting a front row seat of the situation. Mm, yeah. <laughs> what do they know? Yeah. <laughs> Lori is coughing her ass off, like you said, and Annie's like, no, be natural. <laughs> be cool, man. Yeah. Sheriff Brackett sees Never the car. Never going to smoke you out again. <laughs> Never. Brackett sees the car pull up, and he walks over to the passenger side window. 
Lori rolls it down and they talk over the sound of the alarm and Brackett says, someone broke into the hardware store, probably kids. You know how kids love their hardware store. Oh, yes. He says all they stole was a mask, rope, and a couple of knives. You know, The kids stole a murder kit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's be clear. Kids love this stuff, dude. They love stealing gravestones. They love love it. Their favorite, but... Brackett reiterates that it was kids, and Annie says it's hard growing up with a cynical father. He's like, aren't you going to be late for... And she can't hear him over the alarm, so he yells it again just as the alarm stops. (laughs) And she's like, he shouts too. (laughs) But But he's leaning in this car, and he's a cop. Thank you. Thank you. I've tried this before, and it does not work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sheriff Brackett has no sense of smell. We never talked about this That didn't make it into the No, no, no. Or the the script script. or anywhere. Actually, I just made it up. But (laughs) Lori laughs and they say their goodbyes and take off again. I love Annie Brackett. Her snark and sarcasm. No, she's great. Is a treat for us all. But just as the girls leave, Dr. Loomis walks up to Brackett. He introduces himself saying that he'd like to have a few words and that it's important. In the background, we see Michael driving the station wagon, turning down the street to continue following Annie and Lori. (laughs) Bracket and Loomis notice nothing. Yeah, yeah. he goes right past that them. That was yes. so funny. I was like, this fool just went around the block. <laughs> I'll catch up with him later. <laughs> the funniest thing to me is that he waited for oncoming traffic, so he was yeah, there he even was there. longer. <laughs> and Loomis is it's just well, right under his nose. my turn. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, damn it, merge. <laughs> Back in the car, Lori is paranoid that Bracket noticed the pot. But the girls kind of just ease into a conversation about the upcoming dance. Annie encourages her to ask someone to the dance, but Lori gets all shy about it and says she couldn't do something like that. In the conversation, though, she reveals that she has a crush on a guy called Ben Tramer. Every time I hear Ben Tramer, I think of Dr. Wolf. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> ben Tramer is an American hero, apparently. <laughs> But Annie laughs about it, and we then get a shot of Michael following closely behind them in the station wagon. Again, dog shit at tailing. (laughs) Give him a break. Yes. He learned to drive yesterday. (laughs) That's true. It's like, I just picked this up. (laughs) The interesting thing about this scene is that it was all improvised because they needed to add to the runtime on the last day (laughs) of shooting. And so, like, get in the car, drive around. (laughs) Deborah Hill was like, we need a transition from day to nighttime. And John Carpenter was like, well, here's a camera. Get in the backseat of the car. Just follow them around. Wow, that's cool. And so it was actually directed by Deborah Hill. That's cool. But it is nighttime now. And we get a shot from Michael's point of view as he trails the girls in the car. And of course, he's breathing heavily. (laughs) I think he might have like undiagnosed asthma or something something wrong. There's a condition. Or it's a really thick mask. (laughs) Just sweat pouring <laughs> under there. It's fucking hot it's in Commitment there. to a bit. <laughs> Annie drops Lori off at the Doyle's house and then parks across the street at the Wallace's. Michael parks the car and gets out to see Annie walk inside and greet the Wallace's as they leave. He hides behind a tree. Terrifying. <laughs> yes. Terrifying. Annie's chatting with Lindsay Wallace, the girl she's babysitting, and she's played by Kyle Richards, and then they go inside and close the door. That tree ain't thick enough to his big ass factor. It works. Hey, well, he got lucky because they never turned around. So it's totally fine. He gambled and won. He did. Uh, It's weird because Kyle Richards is a real housewife now. You mean like she's a homemaker at 
Cohen? No, I mean, she's a quote-unquote <laughs> real housewife. Oh, Bravo, Andy Cohen. Mm. To be fair... I do like trash, but I only watch Atlanta. So I don't so know her business. Yeah, trash. I don't know her business, but she is a real housewife. And that's weird. That's very uh, weird. Yeah. To go from this yeah, to this. <laughs> but we get a shot of the Myers house as Brackett and Loomis pull up. It's a really cool shot because you see the house in the background and then the car just says sheriff on it. Deborah Hill said that this shot was stolen out of Polanski's Chinatown. <laughs> and actually, a lot of the lighting situations, John Carpenter said that they kind of ripped from Chinatown, kind of got some ideas as far as how day was supposed to look, how night was supposed to play on screen. But the point is, they admitted it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if you have I'm an still influence. Salty. Yes, no, of, of course. Rob Zombie is admitting it now these days, He's though. He's fucking better. About he Texas doesn't have a Chainsaw, choice. So. <laughs> But as they walk inside, Brackett says nobody has lived here since 1963 and that every kid in Haddonfield thinks this place is haunted. So honestly, even though they didn't get to make the original idea that John Carpenter had, this is still oh, kind they of still got it in there. a haunted house film. Yeah. It's haunted in like an urban legend yeah. kind of a way. Right. Which is infinitely more interesting. Yeah. But they go inside and the place looks beat the fuck up. Mm-hmm. On the first floor, they notice a dead dog on the floor. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> but I- <laughs> Brackett's like, it's still warm. And Loomis goes, he got hungry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he-, <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. Michael's never spoken a word to him. No. I don't know what would lead him <laughs> to believe. Immediately. That he's running around. He's digging up tombstones. He's fucking breaking into hardware stores. I'm going to eat a dog. Wait, like, yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't steal a lunch from the fridge That's at the hardware store or go to a McDonald's. He's got the He's car. He's capable of running around and doing all this stuff, but, but I'm going to eat this dog. Kidnap yeah. Fido and take him to the house for a snack? Like, come on. And he didn't, it wasn't even odd or shocking to him. That's no. Yeah. So funny it's to like, me. You know how many dogs I've seen this kid eat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the expert. But Brackett says a man wouldn't do that. And Loomis goes, this isn't a man. He's like, I thought I made myself yeah. clear. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess that was to, to Mary and I told her, but you now. <laughs> they head upstairs and the whole time it's accompanied by this eerie, somber piano. The men look around and head into Judith's old room. Loomis says it happened here. He also says that Michael could have seen inside from the window if he were standing on the lawn, which is exactly what happened. Yeah. Just then, something swings into the window, breaking it. I have never known what this was my entire life. <laughs> I thought it was some, like, and maybe this is me, my brain filling in gaps, but it's Halloween night and that's the haunted house. Uh-huh. Maybe a kid throwing but something at it. But it was attached to it. a yeah. string, unless we maybe weren't supposed to see the string. Yeah. set up a rope and <laughs> yeah. pulley. <laughs> yeah. It's an elaborate trap, but it scares the shit out of Loomis. You know, the kids, they break into the hardware store. They, they set up these yeah, stones. <laughs> hey, trick or treat. It's a trick. Yeah. <laughs> But Loomis fucking pulls a heater from his jacket and cocks it. You know Loomis keeps that thing on him. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he chuckles in relief and he's like, I have a permit for this. It's yeah. fine. Sorry, officer. That, that, yeah. that was funny. Brackett says, it seems like Loomis is just plain scared. And Loomis is like, I am. But he explains why. It's like, you should be too. Yeah. yeah. He says that he met Michael 15 years ago and he was told that there was nothing left. No conscience, no understanding of life or death or good or evil. He says he met this six-year-old child with the blankest, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes. The devil's eyes, he says. He says he spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked away because he realized Michael was pure evil. 
He's like, oh no, there's no, there's, there's no coming back from that. The thing is, is I love this monologue so much. No, it's great. And it's like, finally, somebody's actually fucking listening. Yes. Yeah. I think that this not only explains Loomis's motivation fully, it adds to the film and it does give Brackett that insight that he's like, I'm not just some crazy doctor. Yeah. This has been my experience for 15 years. This kid Please is listen. not human. <laughs> But it almost gives an emotional weight, too, because it shows how deep this goes for Loomis and how important it is for him to find Michael. And also Donald Pleasant's performance just... No, he's great. Carpenter actually said that this was the part of the movie that Donald Pleasant's didn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) The interesting... Well, he does a hell of a job. No, yeah. Selling it. He's a great actor. (laughs) The interesting thing, though, is that Carpenter wrote this monologue based on a personal experience from when he was a student at Western Kentucky University, and they toured a psychiatric unit. Oh, shit. He said he saw a kid sitting there, and that's all he thought was this kid, there's nothing there. And he has, he said he had the devil's eyes. Kid's like, thanks, John. (laughs) I got out. I'm fine. I I was going through a rough time. (laughs) He's like, and his name was Ben Tramer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Not Ben Tramer. But Brackett asks what they should do if, if like they should alert the media or what. Loomis tells him not to, as not to create a panic. And he says, just tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open he says he'll stay here and wait for Michael. And Brackett's like, all right, I'll check back in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to be away from here. Yeah, that was a deep monologue. I need to digest all of that. Yeah. that. You wait here. I'm going to go get the safety. Yeah. He's like, that dog made me hungry. <laughs> but Still warm. <laughs> at the Doyle's house, Lori is reading King Arthur to Tommy, who can't even hide his boredom. <laughs> She's like, I thought that was your favorite, but it turns out his taste have changed. Like, That's old news. Yeah. This is new Tommy. <laughs> and he reaches under the couch and he whips out some comic books. She looks through them very critically and she's like, reading through them, she's like, Neutron Man, Tarantula Man. It's like, I understand why your mom doesn't want you reading this. But then Tommy leans forward and he asks, Lori, what's the boogeyman? But before she can answer. Those damn kids. Yeah, they got the uh, yeah. they warped his brain. <laughs> but before she can answer, the phone rings. She picks it up and it's Annie. Thankfully not chewing this time. <laughs> Annie says she has big news for Lori, but then the Wallace's dog, Lester, walks in and starts barking up a storm. <laughs> she does not like that dog. No, she does not. Annie jokes that she's about to be torn apart by it, actually. <laughs> but we get a shot of the shape lurking outside of the Wallace house as the barking continues. It is a horrifying shot. Yes. Annie yells to Lindsay to get the dog out of the kitchen, but Lindsay is transfixed on the horror movie she's watching in the living room. She is not trying to hear any of it. But as it turns out, Annie's big news is that Lori will be going to the homecoming dance tomorrow because she called Ben Tramer and told him how into him Lori is. So the girls chat about it a bit as Tommy walks over to the window and looks across the street. In the night, he sees the shape standing outside of the Wallace house, staring directly at him. It's just a frightening visual. He's like, hey, oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. it's very, very yeah. scary. And honestly, so much is conveyed just through Michael's posture and this just dark figure up against this white house. Yes. The funny thing, though, is Deborah Hill played the shape in, the, in that shot. <laughs> so she's Terrifying. child Michael. She's yeah. the shape. <laughs> It's impressive. But Tommy runs to Lori and says the boogeyman is outside. 
Lori looks across the street, but of course she doesn't see anything, and she tells Tommy to go watch TV. We then get a shot outside the kitchen door at the Wallace's house, as Annie continues to talk to Lori on the phone, convincing her to go with Ben. Just then, the shape slips back into frame, watching Annie, and again, breathing heavily. (laughs) (laughs) Someone get this thing in an inhaler. Something. Annie accidentally spills some melted butter on her clothes... And she gets off the phone with Lori, taking her clothes off and shouting to Lindsay that she needs a robe. She's very overdramatic about about the butter. It's well, yeah, it's probably it w- hot. <sighs> it wasn't that bad. That- <laughs> <laughs> Not to get naked. Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Michael's breathing continues as he eyes Annie in a state of undress. Michael likes to watch. That's, yeah, he does. I don't know if this is about murder or if it was something more sexual. But she, <laughs> but she's mostly nude except for her underwear, which is very similar. Her, his sister. Yes, Annie throws on a dress shirt. I'm assuming it belongs to mr wallace mm-hmm. and gets back to making the popcorn but i was like whoo miss wallace better not smell yeah. perfume or, uh, <laughs> get not somebody that, yeah fucking trouble what the fuck is this walter <laughs> walter wallace i just made him up but <laughs> the shape knocks down a potted plant which shatters and he makes a hasty retreat like he gets Didn't the mean fuck out of that. there yeah right. oh, oh shit. shit i was just spying <laughs> but annie notices and jumps at the sound but then just goes back to what she was doing outside the shape has returned to the other window, staring into it and breathing heavily. <laughs> Please don't take a shot every time I say he's breathing heavily. You will die. Yes. The family dog rounds the corner and starts to bark at him, but Michael isn't about to be threatened by a tasty treat. <laughs> Mike's like, I could use a snack. Yeah, he's like, I eat dogs like you for breakfast. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but... Annie tells Lindsay the dog is barking again, but then he starts to whimper, and Annie's like, never mind, I guess he found a hot date. It's like, no, okay. No, though, like, that, I don't, I'm, I don't have dogs, I've never had dogs. That sound was clearly a dog in distress. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> Even I know that. Well, maybe she's just glad that the dog is not. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't give a shit about the dog. No. Somebody's eating that motherfucker. Yeah, Thank sweet. God. Yeah. <laughs> But outside, we get a shot of the dog going limp in Michael's arms as he smothers it to death. Dinner time. Or eats it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So in this shot, they actually slowed down the tape as the trainer was just setting the dog down. (laughs) So it it looks like the dog's dying, but it's really just him putting the dog on. They did a great job. Yeah. Back at the Doyle's house, we see a shot of the television. It's the opening credits for 1951 sci-fi horror film, The Thing. Very cool. Yes. Four years later, Carpenter remakes it. Yeah. Fantastic. Lori and Tommy are wicked into it. And Tommy's like, what about the jack-o'-lantern? Lori says, after the movie. Tommy says, what about the rest of my comics? She says, after the (laughs) (laughs) jack-o'-lantern. Then Tommy asks, what about the boogeyman? And Lori's like, there is no such thing. And she tells him that the bullies probably told him about the boogeyman just because Halloween is about tricks and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just trying to scare you, basically. But she comforts him by saying that she's here tonight and there's no way that she'd let the boogeyman get him. Yeah. She's a really good babysitter. He's lucky that he has her instead of uh, (laughs) Annie over there. Yeah. But he asks again if they can go carve the jack-o'-lantern and she takes him by the hand and they go get on that. In the next scene... Annie is walking to the laundry, which is in, I guess, it looks like a shed behind the house. Yeah. Right. But she's going to clean her buttered clothes. <laughs> the lights don't work, which Annie remarks is terrific, and she walks deeper into the shed. 
The door slams shut, but then we see it open slightly. Through the curtain of the door, we see the shape standing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that looked. That was like, it's oh so shit! Good. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we've yet to see him close up in all of his glory. So these little teases are just fantastic. Yeah. Annie goes to investigate, thinking it's her boyfriend Paul. But when she looks out, nobody's there. She's bummed, and she goes, "No tricks for Annie tonight." <laughs> <laughs> But the door then slams shut just after she puts her clothes in the wash. The door is locked, so she bangs on it and calls for Lindsay. Lindsay's still inside. Zero help. At all. She can't hear that shit. No. She can't hear that. We get... She does. She doesn't care. No. no. That's true. It's like, fuck her. We, she didn't even bring a pumpkin to carve. But the phone begins to ring inside, and then we get a shot of Annie banging on the door calling for Lindsay, but in the background, we see the shape standing out at the other window, and he's looking inside at her. When she turns around to the window, he's gone, and she realizes that's probably her only way out. Back inside the house, the phone rings again, and Lindsay answers it. It's Paul asking for Annie, so Lindsay goes to the laundry to get her. Fun fact... John Carpenter is the voice of Paul on the phone. (laughs) That's great. That's funny. But she unlocks the door and she finds Annie stuck in the window and she helps her out. And Annie's like, you got to promise me you'll never tell (laughs) anyone about this. When she goes to get Annie, didn't she hang up on Paul? Yes. Yeah. Like, I'll tell her. Click. It's like, geez. I thought that too. I was like, she just hang that phone up. (laughs) No phone etiquette. But as they're heading back inside, the phone rings again. Lindsay answers the phone, and it's Paul, and she immediately tells him that Annie was stuck in the window. <laughs> Little Which shit. I That's would send funny. her to bed. <laughs> Your night's done. Yes. Yeah. Paul cracks wise, and Annie's like, hey, I've seen you in plenty of positions <laughs> stuck. Paul tells her that his parents are gone, and we see the shape lurking in the background outside of the door, which for some reason is still open. Yeah, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> The two continue to flirt and they make plans about how they're going to get down with the get down later. That's all anybody cares about. Yeah. I mean, except Lori. Yeah. Annie gets off the phone and tells Lindsay that she's going to take her over to Tommy's house to finish watching the movie while she, I guess, does the monster mash with Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, if I were Lindsay's parents, I would be fucking pissed. Oh, of course. You don't just leave. (laughs) And I mean... Well, there were no cell phones. No. no. I mean, Lori is going to watch her. It's fine. Right? No, oh. not at all. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> I don't have kids. So she walks Lindsay across the street and the shape fucking lurches up from behind the car, watching as they knock on the door. Tommy answers and invites them in. Annie goes into the kitchen and chats with Lori for a bit. And Lori tells her to call Ben Tramer and tell her that she was just joking. But Annie's like, nah, that's on you. <laughs> just go with it, Lori. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's the harm? It's American hero Ben Tramer. Yes. (laughs) But she says if Lori watches Lindsay so she can go get her Mac O'Lantern on with Paul, (laughs) she'll consider calling Ben in the morning. (laughs) That sigh of disappointment. I was proud of me. But (laughs) Lori agrees and Annie leaves. Annie heads back over to the Wallace's house singing a song that she's made up about Paul. <laughs> oh, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> she's in very high spirit. <laughs> she's about to get her Mac on. Yeah. Her Mac O'Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she grabs her car keys and she gets in the car. 
Once inside, she realizes that all the windows are fogged up. If you guessed, that's because there's a certain heavy breathing mastiff <laughs> maniac hiding in the back seat. You are correct. No, the foggy windows are very on brand. Yeah, how long would yeah. he have stayed in there? He's, just waiting. She's like, fucking coming out. Well, he's like, I heard her boyfriend said <laughs> his parents weren't home. Why is she taking so long? Michael lurches up and starts to strangle her. Through the fogged up window, we see him slash her throat with a knife. And she slinks down in the seat dead as the car horn blares. I hate to see Annie go, but she did die a little funny. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, the eyes. Yeah, the, the eyes were a little much. It's it almost like lot. she wasn't dying fast enough when he was choking Yeah, he's her. like, geez, how long right. you gotta... <laughs> go, alive? go with what you know, Michael. Yeah. Use knife. the knife. You already have it in your hand. Just use it. <laughs> Carpenter actually said that a critic told him he had no sense of timing. But he said that everything was deliberate, like this scene, her going inside, her singing, her not having the keys, her going to find them, yeah. her brushing her hair. It's building suspense. Yeah. It's not supposed to be everything is like, ah! Ah! <laughs> But back at the Doyle's house, the kids are enjoying the movie when Tommy decides to sneak behind the couch and hide in a curtain to scare Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay gets up and looks around. She's literally, <laughs> she's literally the worst at this game yeah. because Tommy is barely hiding. <laughs> Wouldn't even call that a hiding no, spot. No, you can literally see him. All yeah. of him, yes. But Tommy looks out the window and he sees the shape carrying Annie's body inside the Wallace's house. <sighs> Terrifying. Yes. Especially if you're a little child. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Carpenter actually said all these shots of that house were shot at the same time, just one after the other. <laughs> They're like, let's just get it done. Yes. But Tommy backs away from the window and into Lindsay and they both scream. Lori rushes in and Tommy tells her that he saw the boogeyman outside and Lori tells him to stop because he's scaring Lindsay. She gets Tommy to stop and he's like, nobody believes me. And Lindsay goes, I believe you, Tommy. I'm like, I was defending you. <laughs> like, poor Lori. Well, here's the thing, though. She's had these weird like occurrences yes. all day and then as soon as somebody else has one, you're Shut like, hey, get the fuck out of here. Nothing's there out there. There is no such yeah. thing. Go we'll carve your pumpkin. <laughs> She tells him, she's like, I'm going to send you to bed. It's like, <laughs> you have been seeing him yeah, all day. All you don't day, remember yeah. the laundry and yeah. the bush? Yeah, no, well, she was probably like, no, you're scaring me. Uh, no, Lindsay. No, Lindsay's scared. Shit. The bush. I forget. Yeah, yeah the whole thing. But back at the Myers house, Loomis is waiting outside behind some shrubbery. <laughs> Tommy's bullies from earlier are daring each other to go inside. And a kid called Lonnie walks up to the porch. Loomis cups his hands from behind the bush and says, hey, <laughs> hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. Yeah. And the kids just run away. And Loomis looks so goddamn <laughs> pleased with so himself. Happy. <laughs> but just then, a hand appears on his shoulder. But it's Sheriff Brackett just checking in. He tells Loomis that nothing out of the ordinary is happening, and he feels like Loomis is dead wrong about Michael Myers. Mm. Loomis is like, I'm not wrong. And he says he remembers seeing Michael staring at the wall for 15 years, staring past the wall, looking at this night, being inhumanly patient for it. He tells him, death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Carpenter called Loomis the boatman on the river Styx who has already seen into hell. Man. I'm like, that is chef's kiss. Yes. Also very accurate. <laughs> yes. But of course, Brackett still doesn't believe him. Well, he's like, didn't he say that was fancy talk? Yeah. He's <laughs> like, you can can the fancy. <laughs> What's the fancy talk at all? No. He's like, you're in danger. He's like, <laughs> Y'all are going to die. Excuse me, yeah. <laughs> King. Mr. Degree. Yeah. 
No, right. at all. He basically tells him, he's like, look, I'll stay tonight on the off chance that you're right. But he says, if you are right, damn you for letting him go. Which is like, Loomis did not he didn't let, let him, him go. go. I, that's what I wrote. I was like, how did he let he him go? He did not. As he walks off, Loomis just kind of stands there looking pensive. Outside of the Wallace's house, Linda and her boyfriend Bob pull up in a van. They're both clearly drunk. And Linda's like, all right, here's the plan. We go inside, we talk with Annie, then Annie distracts Lindsay, and then it's time to plow. <laughs> and this is... Uh, I was... <laughs> yes. Please. Okay, Bob's like, all right, so first I rip your clothes off, then you rip my clothes off, then we rip Lindsay's clothes off. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Lindsay's like six. Yes. First oh, of all... What? This is I thought when... he was talking about one of the friends. No. no. Oh, Lindsay, oh, the I... little girl. This I've... is when Linda should have been like, abort, abort. And Never mind. I'm just yeah. going to get out now. It's a sweet ass van, though. It's not bad. <laughs> I'll give him the van. Uh, Everything else, he's yeah, a fucking weirdo. I, I really didn't. Quite I thought he was talking yeah. about the other girl. See, that, that was... And that would have been a much like, funnier joke. Down. Yeah. I hope that he just didn't know the names of the characters and was just talking <laughs> shit. But the funny thing is that Bob was originally supposed to be played by PJ Soul's husband at the time, Dennis Quaid, but there was a scheduling <laughs> conflict and it wouldn't allow for it. But anyway, <laughs> the two drunk lovebirds head inside laughing. All the lights are out and Linda's like, it's totally dark. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, totally. And she turns on a lamp. They call out for Annie and Lindsay, but they don't get a reply. She suggests that they look for a note, but instead they start making out on the couch. I mean, of course. I mean, yeah. The camera pulls back to reveal the shape watching them. He's got a front Michael row seat. likes <laughs> to watch. Back at the Doyle place, they have a funeral-like procession bringing in the jack-o'-lantern into the dining room. And they're making <laughs> they're making ghost noises as this is going on. But Tommy, Tommy's like, he's going to get you to Lindsay. And Lori's like, stop it. Nobody's getting anybody. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. But damn, Tommy, wasn't this the same shit yeah. that was you scaring you? Scared. And you're weaponizing your fear against <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, you bastard. But... Lori looks across the street and she sees Bob's van. She laments that everyone else is having a good time tonight except for her, but then gathers the kids into the living room to finish the movie. The phone rings and Lori answers it. It's Linda asking if Lori has seen Annie because she's totally not there. <laughs> Lori says that Annie went to pick up Paul and asks her to have her call her when she gets back because she wants to know what time to put Lindsay to bed. But like... This is my point. She's putting her to bed at the Doyle house. Mm -hmm. These parents dropped their, I mean, left their daughter at her home. Right. Now she's gone. Mm -hmm. Literally <laughs> going to spend the night at somebody else's house. Oh, it's, nay, kids don't think ahead. I mean, <laughs> all Annie's thinking it's about gonna is be Paul. Fine. You know? And yes. so she's like, look, I'll deal with the fucking Wallaces later. <laughs> After after Paul. Yeah, but damn, where did the parents go that they're going to be gone? That's a great question, too. Well, and they yeah. left after dark already, so. Yeah, because yeah. when, when we were able to go out before everything was going on, mm -hmm. we would be on, what, dinner and a movie, or yeah. we'd go somewhere, and then we'd come back home. And right. It would, I mean, it would be late, but it wouldn't be like, we're, we'll see you guys it tomorrow. Wouldn't be, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be November. No shit. But they get off the phone and Linda tells Bob the great news that Lindsay is gone for the night. So they head upstairs. Carpenter pointed out during this scene, 
PJ Souls trips over the dolly track for the camera on their way out <laughs> and it made it into the film. It's pretty funny. But the lights go out at the Wallace place and Lori returns to the couch with the kids. Back at the Wallace's house, things are getting a little hot and heavy in the Wallace's bed. I mean, define hot and heavy. Well, <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, I don't know. They they were going at it. They were know. rolling they around. They were, yeah. yeah. I don't know about was... going at it. <laughs> they just look funny. Yeah. <laughs> but the phone starts ringing. Bob takes the phone off the hook as to not disturb them any further. As they continue, we see the shadow of the shape cross along the wall. She doesn't answer the phone because she says she's going to get Annie in trouble. Yes. So they take it off yeah. the hook. No, but what's even worse is that, yeah, the phone, whatever, don't answer that. But what about when the Wallaces come home to this sweaty ass bed? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what? The, you know, isn't that much worse? Yes. But they finish up and Linda reaches for a smoke. She asks Bob if he wants a beer and then she's like, go get me a beer. Jeffrey Dahmer, go yeah. get me a beer. <laughs> Bob tells her he'll be right back, which if we've learned anything from Scream 18 years later, is not a good sign. Yes. Bob heads downstairs in the dark and grabs a couple of beers from the fridge. The level of disrespect. What, to this house? Yes. Yes. Now you're going to drink all their beer. <laughs> it's there, too much. No home training. It's none. None. Yeah. You weren't even supposed to... You were not part of the babysitting crew. Not at all. <laughs> but the kitchen door creaks open and he goes to investigate. We hear Michael's breathing and Bob closes the door. He opens a pantry, but he doesn't see anyone. But when he opens up a closet, Michael springs from it, grabbing Bob by the throat. He pushes him up against the pantry with almost superhuman strength. Yes. No, yes. It's superhuman yeah. strength. I mean, not almost. It is. He's tarantula man. <laughs> <laughs> But he raises him up and Bob's feet are kicking. He raises the knife with the other hand, stabbing him through the stomach. Bob's body goes lifeless as he just hangs there somehow. Because the knife's that's not a, long enough. That's a strong but, ass knife. Yeah. yeah. That's an ad for that knife. Yeah. <laughs> but we get a profile shot of Bob and Michael with the knife sticking out of Bob's stomach. Michael tilts his head, admiring his handiwork. That's one of the creepiest yes. shots to me is him just looking like, Hmm. Huh. Not bad. Yeah. You really outdone yourself, Mike. Like a chicken? Just <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> I read that All for right. the direction of this shot, Carpenter told Nick Castle to look at Bob as if he were a butterfly collection. Wow. <laughs> Very neat. All right. Yeah. He's like, damn, look at those wings. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Back upstairs, Linda is filing her nails. Now you're using the woman's nail file. <laughs> And you're getting your nail powder all up in the bed. Hey, well, if they're not going to notice the sweat, they're not going to notice the nail powder. But we get a shot from the perspective of Linda in the bed as the door creaks open. We see Michael, only now he's wearing a sheet looking like a ghost. Another great classic image from this movie. Bob's glasses are on the ghost. <laughs> it's just insult to injury. Yes. And the fact that he's into pranks is just... But he's like a lot... He seems to be a lot larger than Bob. Yes. Yeah. But, well... And she's just like, uh-huh. She's <laughs> like, hey, Bob. <laughs> but she assumes it's him, and she pulls the sheet down to reveal her boobs and is like, see anything you like? I read that at the premiere, obviously they were watching it, and when that happened, 
she's sitting in the audience watching it and she says, you see anything you like? And the guy sitting behind her goes, hell yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) And she just sat there and laughed. And her husband... Oh, Dennis Quaid? Yeah, was like, do you want me to say something? And she's like, no. Like, she's no, that's like, great. It's funny. hilarious. It's yeah, hilarious. You want me to beat his ass? Like, chill out. <laughs> I will kill him. That's why you weren't in the fucking movie. <laughs> uh, they got divorced, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. After she asked that, Michael just stands there. She asks for her beer <laughs> and gets annoyed that he won't answer. She tells him that he's weird and then throws on her shirt and says she's going to call Lori. She gets on the phone with her back to the door and Ghost Michael slowly advances on her. Mistake. Big mistake. Lori picks up the phone just as Michael begins to strangle her with the phone cord. Linda struggles against Michael, squealing and gasping for air. And moaning. Let's be clear. (laughs) Yes. And that's why I understand in what Lori... No, it literally sounded like Lori thinks it's another joke that Annie's fucking around because it does sound a lot less like Linda's being killed, more like she's being thrilled. So (laughs) I totally get that. But after Michael finishes her off, he picks up the phone and holds it to his ear. We get the first close-up shot of Michael in his mask, and it's... Pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's exactly what Loomis described Michael appearing like in the hospital. Pale, yeah. blank, emotionless face with the blackest eyes. Oh, man. The devil's eyes. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I, I, that's literally what it is. Yeah. Lori hangs up the phone and looks out the window across the street. She sees the lights at the Wallace place go on, then off again. She calls them back, but gets no reply. She heads upstairs to check on the children, and they're fast asleep. I would be scared. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Like, that's really weird. Mm -hmm. Back at the Myers place, Loomis is waiting around still, but he notices Marion's station wagon across the street. (laughs) How long has it been there? (laughs) He's like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) But he hightails it over there, realizing that he was right. Lori heads back downstairs, grabbing a set of keys, putting it in her pocket, and heading outside. She's brave to be oh, yeah, even going no. over there. They're on their yeah. own. Yeah. I don't, I don't know see what the them fuck. Doing yeah, it. I don't know what y'all got going on over <laughs> yeah. here, but I heard Bob's plans. They're fucking gross. <laughs> I'm actually watching kids. Yes. <laughs> you know what we're being paid to do. But she makes a slow walk across the street over to the Wallace place. Lori makes her way to the porch and rings the doorbell. Of course nobody answers, so she calls for Bob, Linda, and Annie. She walks around the side of the house and finds the kitchen door open. When she walks inside, she closes it behind her. She hears a thud upstairs and calls out for Annie again, and she sneaks around the house finding no one, but hears another thud upstairs. She tells him this isn't funny, because it's not. (laughs) Not at all. And then she's cautiously making her way upstairs. She sees the light of a pumpkin behind a closed door at the end of the hall. When she makes her way inside, she finds Annie's dead body lying on the bed with Judith Meyer's headstone placed above her. The staging. It's like he he had it planned out. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like it's a tableau. Yeah. And it kind of becomes a haunted house attraction. (laughs) (laughs) But Lori gasps, collapsing into a closet. Just then, Bob's body swings out from the closet, causing Lori to scream, and she throws herself against the opposite wall. Just then... (laughs) It's not (laughs) over. It's not done, yeah. (laughs) A door swings open to reveal Linda's dead body. Lori screams again, backing out of the room, crying. She leans up against an open doorway and continues to cry. In the darkness of the doorway, we slowly see Michael's white mask come into view. This is an amazing trick with the lighting. Yeah. It is so good. One of my favorite shots in the whole movie. I uh, read that it was they did it with a dimmer switch. 
Oh, really? Just slowly turning up the yeah. dimmer oh, switch perfect. so you can it see d- his... It does look cool, though. Uh, yeah. It's so effective. Because it. I was like, oh, shit, I was like, he's right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But once we do see him, she begins to walk away, but he comes out stabbing her right in the shoulder. That slice, though. Oh, man. But let's be real here. He he didn't have to miss her like that. He he would have hit her. He's Michael Myers, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, now he's like, oh, shit, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Well, he got he's excited. Nervous. Yeah. <laughs> he's nervous. He's like, he she likes me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. She's in love. Yeah. <laughs> But she screams and she takes a tumble down the stairs with Michael following close behind her. She runs to the front door but can't get it open. And so she runs and locks herself in the kitchen trying to get out the door she came in. Unfortunately, it's blocked by a rake. So Michael planned ahead. Yeah, he did. <laughs> the whole door is glass, though. Yeah, yeah my ass would be flying through yeah. that. Yeah. Again, oh, yeah. me shaped hole. Yeah. I don't understand these people. But. Michael eventually slashes through the door, unlocking it and advancing on her just as she's able to make her exit. She runs out of the house screaming for help, taking maybe a primitive horror movie fall (laughs) before she reaches the neighbor's door. She screams for help and the neighbor turns on the light, looks outside and just turns off the fucking light. Absolutely not. They're like, we are out of candy. (laughs) Yeah. But Lori runs back across the street trying to get the keys out of her pocket to unlock the door, but they're gone. Now, when she reaches into her pocket, she's like, the keys, (laughs) the keys, but her mouth doesn't say anything. So I'm wondering if test audiences are like, why is she reaching in her pocket? Uh, You know, like we saw her put the keys in her pocket. If you pay attention, that's why you don't like test audiences. What the fuck do they know? Yes. (laughs) Cell phone. I'm going to call Tommy Doyle. (laughs) But she looks across the street and she sees Michael in pursuit. She throws a potted plant up at the window to wake the kids. <laughs> hey, smart. No, yeah, I, w- I would have kept uh, banging on the door or ran around the back or something. Everybody leaves their damn kitchen door open. Yeah, apparently. But <laughs> Tommy very slowly gets up and He's he like, God damn, I he was rubs his sleep. eyes from the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he lets her in downstairs. And when she gets in, she locks the door behind her and tells Tommy to get upstairs with Lindsay and lock the door up there. She turns off the lights and tries to dial the phone, but it doesn't work. She realizes that another door is open and we hear Michael's breathing. Very tense situation. <laughs> Again, please don't drink. <laughs> but she sits in front of the couch and the shape rises up from the darkness and stabs at her. Luckily, he misses and she stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. Ooh. He tears it out and collapses to the floor. <laughs> Just like a ton of bricks. It's not that easy. <laughs> she thought it was. Yeah, she did. Was like, it's not Whoa. that easy. But Lori grabs the knife and peers over the couch to see his body on the ground. She sits on the couch for a moment and kind of throws the knife away. We get a shot of Loomis walking around outside to the neighborhood. Brackett pulls up to him and Loomis tells him that he found the station wagon and that Michael is here. He says for Brackett to go around the back of the houses and he'll watch the front. Lori makes her way upstairs and gets the kids to open the door. She hugs them and tells them there's nothing to be scared of, but we see the shape making his way up the stairs. And nobody sees it. No, yeah. they just keep talking. She's like, again, nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> Let me reiterate. Yeah. But eventually, Tommy does see and he screams, and then she stashes the kids back in their room and they lock the door. Lori then hides in a closet and ties it shut with a tie. She slinks down in the corner as Michael advances into the room, tearing at the closet door. And before she goes in the closet, she opens the window to make it uh, look yeah, like she went out the... I was like, that's She's a genius. Smart. She's very yeah. smart. All those books. All them books. But Lori screams as he smashes through the door, accidentally turning on the light as well. As the light swings, Lori untwists a wire hanger and stabs Michael in the eye, Quick causing thinking. him to drop the knife. 
in this scene, Michael Myers is played by Tommy Lee Wallace. I heard. <laughs> they just move that mask around. Right. <laughs> now you put it on. Yeah. But she grabs the knife and she stabs him in the chest. Michael lies on the floor and Lori makes her way out of the closet. She gets the kids and tells them to go down the street to the McKenzie's house and tell them to call the police. They leave and Lori collapses against the door frame. Lori, you gotta learn. <laughs> the first time wasn't enough. <sighs> I mean... He kipped yeah, up and then I... went yeah. up the stairs. <laughs> and of course, in the background, Michael sits up and turns his head to her. Outside, the kids scream, alerting Loomis. Man, those kids are going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, ah! They're not even waiting for the McKinsey's. They're just like, anybody! <laughs> but Loomis heads inside the Doyle's house. Inside, upstairs, Lori stands up, just as Michael does the same behind her. He grabs her, and they begin to tussle. As they're fighting, he, like, is grunting. Oh, yeah. it's, yeah. And something about him making noise when he's been this silent figure the whole movie is fucking scary. <laughs> he scary made... or makes you worried? He's like, why are you so excited about doing this? <laughs> well, he made some noise when he was strangling Annie as I well. I guess, but uh, See, something about the scene. He's like, this yeah. takes a lot <laughs> out of me. He can't even breathe under, <laughs> under the best yeah, circumstances. So <laughs> don't. <laughs> Gonna add some strenuous activity to it? Come on, man. But Loomis runs up the stairs just as Lori tears Michael's mask off. Loomis, seeing that it is truly Michael Myers, aims his gun. Michael puts the mask back on and Loomis shoots him. He falls back into the bedroom and we get this great shot of his silhouette standing there before Loomis shoots him some more. Yes, Loomis. Yes. And when she takes his mask off, there's like this phenomenon of people who remembered him being like grotesque and disfigured. He's just a dude. He's just a dude with, I mean, his eyes fucked up because she right. just poked him in it. But <laughs> I <laughs> poked him in it. That's a very kind way to, yeah, that's a very kind way to put up. it. <laughs> Whoopsie doodle. <laughs> Whoops. Anyway, <laughs> I remembered his face being scary when I was a kid. I don't know about grotesque and disfigured, but I it scared me. It wasn't and sloth looking at the it, Goonies. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's Rocky Dennis. No, looking at it now, it's just a dude with yeah. his eye injured, poked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> poked. But Michael falls out of the upstairs balcony onto the lawn. We get this great shot of him as the music swells of him on the ground. Lori says to Dr. Loomis, it was the boogeyman. And Loomis replies, as a matter of fact, it was. He goes to the window to investigate, but Michael's body is gone. The Halloween theme begins to play as Lori begins to cry, and Loomis looks out the window. We get shots of various locations throughout the film as Michael breathes heavily. We get one last shot of the Myers house as the breathing continues, and the credits roll. Now... I kind of had a Mandela effect situation with this line at the end because whenever we watched it as kids, I always thought she asked him, was that the boogeyman? And he says, as a matter of fact, it was. That's what I remember too. But this time when I watched it, she straight up says, it was the boogeyman. And even with the subtitles on, it says, it was the boogeyman. So I'm like, is my brain? (laughs) What (laughs) What happened? happened (laughs) But as is customary, what did you guys think of Halloween? Uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't watch this, like I said, as much as probably you guys did, Mm -hmm. but I do remember the movie. There was some things I didn't remember, and I'm glad that at the end he hit him 
with all those bullets because yes. <laughs> in other movies it would have been like he made an outline of his body with yeah. the bullets <laughs> no, and, and then he looks around and then, like, yeah what? and then the one bullet hits him and then he's like oh you injured me <laughs> but him shooting him that many yes. times and getting him it's like holy shit he's still shot him and, and then at the end he disco got up. dancing out the window yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh i had read that dr loomis was supposed to look terrified mm -hmm. when he looked out and saw that michael was gone right but donald pleasance was like no i think he should be like i fucking knew this was gonna yeah. happen and that's kind of the face that we get like he looks scared but he also looks like of course yeah. it's funny because uh carpenter said that they shot both yeah and he said guess which one i used yeah <laughs> and it's clear because his face is like god fucking damn knew it. It. i knew this was gonna happen yeah. yeah but yeah i i really enjoyed it you know i it's not one of my favorite movies but it, it's a really good movie you know what i mean and mm -hmm. i would uh this is one that i would say if you've never seen it oh, watch man. it you have to watch it um, at least once, mm -hmm. you know, if you've never seen it at least one time. But it, it's it's a really good movie. No, I love it. It was a staple, like I said, growing up. And it's one of those that just doesn't ever really lose its charm for me. I appreciate it more the older that I get. I feel like it accidentally, because I know this wasn't intentional, created the like the virgin lives or sex kills in horror movies. <laughs> It's funny because Carpenter said that that was never the intention. Yeah. He actually, he said something a bit coarse. He's like, if you pay attention to the movie, she stabs him. <laughs> he said, and I yeah. quote, she gets to stick it in. I was like, okay, <laughs> holy Lord. That was a bit much. That was a bit much, John. And also, that's not what we're saying. No, but no, 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 no. That was never. But people. What movie? <laughs> <laughs> I know that that wasn't their intention, but I could see how people would read it into it the right. sister mm -hmm. has a minute and a half of sex at the beginning and she's killed and then everybody else except for Lori is trying to or having sex and everybody but her gets killed right we see this again and again later on and it kind of i guess started here it yeah unintentionally and it's funny accidentally carpenter said the reason they get killed is because they're distracted yeah it's <laughs> I not mean, a matter that's, of that's yeah. fair. doing the Keep deed your eyes on the prize yeah but well, but what's I, the prize? I, <laughs> Be but, specific. Yes. But the sister's boyfriend didn't die. Well, he left too quick. He, yeah, he was smart. He's like, like, out, man. He's like, but, man, I'm glad I only. Yeah, right. I hear there's I only a can. boogeyman in the works. <laughs> yeah, I need to yeah, go. I'm out of the works. <laughs> yeah. it's his first appearance. But no, it's it's great. It's a quintessential horror film. Watch it for Halloween. Watch it all year. Like mm -hmm. it's just it's. A stable. <laughs> Dude, I watched this movie twice in preparation for mm -hmm. this episode, and I'm also going to watch it again on Halloween. Because <laughs> you got it. That's how good it is. It's no shock to anyone how much I love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, not just horror movies. It's so well made. Such an inspiring story of people who are basically our age making this indie film that yeah. blew up into one of the most classic horror films of all time and it's an amazing movie and not just because it's old it was the first one blah 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 it was that did it this way but in its own right exactly in its own right it is just a great movie so i guess that brings us to ratings not to reiterate everything i personally think this is one of the most perfect horror films ever made well shot well directed well acted the atmosphere of it makes me feel like I'm a child again. 
So there is some nostalgia there, but putting that aside, this movie is just flat out incredible. It's worthy of the reputation that it has. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. I'm begging you to go do so after this episode is finished <laughs> or before because <laughs> no, I, I really hope yeah. we didn't spoil you on all yeah. this. But it's, Hopefully you already did. Yeah, it's something you have to experience. It's just amazing. I could go on and on for four more hours, I believe, <laughs> but we do not have the time for such things. So I will close out in saying I love this movie. And I feel fortunate to exist at the same time that it also existed. (laughs) (laughs) So it comes as no shock. Out of 10 of the blackest eyes, I'm going to give Halloween 10 out of 10 of the blackest eyes. And I will now open the floor to you. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I... Yeah, I'm not going to go back and say all the stuff that we've already said, but and part of this may be because it it's like indoctrination almost. Uh-huh. I had this movie is just like I said a quintessential horror film for me and it really paved the way for a lot of horror that we love and appreciate now and on its own it's fantastic. It's a phenomenal movie. Um so yeah, I have no choice on a scale from one to ten of the blackest eyes, I give Halloween ten out of ten of the blackest eyes. John Paul. All right. Um, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than what I remembered watching it before. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lot of things I didn't remember that I watched it and I was like, "Oh shit, that's funny!" <laughs> or that's. You know. I feel like some of it when you're young you don't get to, yeah, so like it gets too. better uh, in that way as you yeah, get older. Uh, um. I don't love this movie as much as obviously you guys do. <laughs> right. And I'm and it, it does go back to the whole like you said if you watched it a lot as a kid it means something Oh, it, for sure. You know, it has Shapes, a, yeah. yeah, it has no a special place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um but I I didn't watch this movie like that as a kid. So to me it it doesn't have that nostalgic feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um but I do, I did enjoy it, and I will agree a hundred percent with what you guys are saying on how, you know, it inspired a lot of other movies, and it, you know, and it was it was there. But I also, for that, don't want to give it a high score just because of that. Right. But right. that's and me. We didn't. No, yeah. yeah. But no, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. you guys, you watched it all the time, and but uh, I, I, it is a good movie, and I will agree with you on that. If you have not seen this movie, go watch it. Check it out, even if you watch it the one time and you love it or you hate it, at least you... No, you you, have to. Yeah, at least you see it for what it is and you can make that judgment on your own. Um, For me, I will give it, or I'm going to give it, uh, (laughs) eight of the blackest eyes out of ten. Uh, it's not my favorite movie, and I and unless your sister wants to watch it, I probably won't watch it. Following, <laughs> but I mean, I I did enjoy it, and I do think that if you've never seen this movie, go watch it. Right, go and check it out, and then you know see what it is because it is really good. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, like I said, the music from oh, the whole time. Man. And from what you said, they showed people the movie without the music. They're like, nah, this is whack. <laughs> so the music does set a lot of the, the tones for the movie. It really and, does. And it helps it a lot. It's almost Halloween. Uh-huh. Go watch it right now. And watch <laughs> and it again on Halloween. Say, watch it again. <laughs> 
Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Halloween and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Remember, if you have no knowledge of a situation, maybe it would be wise to trust the experts. Until next time. Thank you.